Hello and welcome to this episode of Irreligiosity, the one true podcast, and the only podcast that could not tell a lie. We did chop down that cherry tree. Oh yeah, I chopped that shit down, man. Wait, did I? I don't know. I don't know why we did it. I wanted the cherries. Why? I <laughs> wanted <laughs> those delicious cherries. That story doesn't even make sense. <laughs> why are they fucking chopping down the cherry tree in the first place? <laughs> So that he could deny it later. <laughs> Dad like- comes out. Did you chop that down? Uh, I'm sitting here with an axe, dumbass. I cannot tell a lie. I did. I'm, per- I'm pretty sure it's related to, like, who was it that denied Jesus three times? <laughs> Peter. <laughs> yeah, it was like George Washington, Washington Peter. Yeah. Jesus delusions as a young child. <laughs> He's denying himself. I'm like, Jesus. Uh, yeah, hey, that's, so... That's one of the Founding Fathers, Chuck. We're continuing our Founding Fathers interminable series. You you people thought a uh, Bible study was bad. Well, eat this shit. Holy crap. <laughs> You'll be pining away for Bible study after we're done with our 18-part series on the Founding Fathers of America. Yes. <laughs> we're going to do all the Founding Fathers, then every president after perhaps... A few secretaries of states. And maybe a couple presidents we predict will be presidents in the future. Yes. <laughs> I got my money on Rick Santorum. <laughs> sure it's a lock. I just want to hear, just once, <laughs> President Santorum. <laughs> President Frothy Discharge. <laughs> I mean, Mr. Santorum. Speaking of Santorum. Yes? Uh, the Supreme Court okayed gay marriage recently. They did not. And America as we know it is over. It's all over. Now, uh, we are ruled by the tyranny of five unelected judges. I guess they all, they all say unelected judges, tyranny, and men in black robes for some reason. Like that's some like Darth right, Vader it's, sort it's, of. It's ominous. Nazi <laughs> ominous, yeah. Men in black These robes. Unelected, black robed. Black-hearted fools. Except uh, I would hasten to point out several of them were women in black robes, but that doesn't sound as ominous. Well, none of them. Uh, oh wait, yeah, and they were all the they were all the ones that uh, agreed with. Them. Yeah, the five men, or the, I guess the four men in black robes that dissented. Those those are the true judges that are not. Yeah, they are not uh, <laughs> judicial tyrants, Chuck. Those were apparently elected judges. Before elected ones. <laughs> oh, God. The end of civilization. Another goddamn 5 4 decision, and it's the end of civilization. End of civilization, as we know it. I would like to point out that, like, when interracial marriage went through, it was like fucking 9 to 0. Right. And like, something like 20% of the general public was like, yeah, okay, interracial marriage is all right, no problem. Now when something like... 60, 70? Yeah, yeah. it was fucking doesn't give a shit, and it's a 5 fucking 4 decision. 5-4, so everything goes. At least Kennedy came through on this one. <laughs> yeah, that's because corporations weren't involved. Where were these unelected judicial tyrants when Citizens United went through, Chuck? When Hobby Lobby went through. <laughs> Yeah, assholes. God damn it. Uh, So we have a a theme. It's going to be hard to guess for our skunk dicks uh, this go-round. What could have engendered all this skunk dickiness? I don't know. Uh, There'll be a quiz later. Hey, 
Chuck, remember Franklin Graham? No. <laughs> I keep trying to forget him. Nobody knows Franklin Graham. He was the guy who was on the uh, iPod of the Muslim woman in God's Not Dead before she got the shit kicked out of her by her uh, irate Muslim father. Was he? Was that who she was listening to? I believe to? Like, it was Franklin Graham. Like First Corinthians or something? <laughs> Franklin Graham. <laughs> he was also the one that took all his money away from Wells Fargo Bank because they promote gay marriage. And then put it into another bank that did. So he's yeah. Nice job. <laughs> he's all over this gay marriage stuff. As you may have guessed, he's not particularly happy about the uh, Supreme Court ruling on homosexual marriage. That uh, comes as a surprise to me. I thought, I thought he was fairly progressive in his views. Yeah, I was like Franklin Graham, Ken Ham. They're going to be like this. This is the ruling of the Supreme Court. We will support it as dutiful citizens and we're patriots, <laughs> protectors of our democracy. Um, he believes, though, that God could bring judgment upon America. Well, bring it on, God. <laughs> bring it on. Judge away. <laughs> Quote, you better be ready. You better be prepared because it's coming. <laughs> There will be Did he just quote the fucking Santa Claus song? <laughs> you better watch out and you better not cry because God's judgment is coming. That's right. Uh, there will be persecutions of Christians. Here comes the persecutions. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yep. And just like oh. they persecuted Christians when who stood against interracial marriage. Right. It's exactly the same. Oh, God. They got. Imagine all those pastors and they had to do. Marriages. They were forced before marriages between, <laughs> right. like, say, a black man and a white wo woman right. or an Asian woman and a Filipino man. You know? Yeah, the government <laughs> just swooped in and, uh, like, jackbooted thugs and forced them to marry these uh, black and white people. Yes. Against God's wishes. It, well, that was the first fracturing of society. Yeah, it's, been, it's all been downhill since then. I'm disappointed, he said, because government is recognizing sin. This court is endorsing sin. <laughs> That's what homosexuality is. A sin against God. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, he, he said, regardless of the ruling, he will refuse to marry any same-sex couple. Hey, hey, Graham, no one's coming to you. I <laughs> am. I'm going to force that fucker <laughs> to marry Except two gay you. people. You asshole. You're going to be the asshole that, that ruins this for everyone. I'm going to break into his house and force him to marry two gay people. Uh, well, I use a gun for that because that is your constitutional right, <laughs> much like same-sex marriage. I'm going to exercise my Second Amendment rights to defend the 14th Amendment and force him to yes. give those gays equal protection under the law. Oh, I will never recognize it in my heart. Could God give marriage between a man and a woman? That's what it is. And I don't think the court, since it never defined marriage, doesn't have the right to define it. You see that? It didn't define it in the first place, Chuck. Oh, so okay. So it cannot redefine it. God gave us marriage, period. I love when people say that, period. <laughs> yeah. And then they say something else. And God doesn't change his mind. And plus, after that period, <laughs> God doesn't change his mind. God changes his mind all the time. Uh, in case you didn't realize the ramifications, this now means gay rights, Trump religious liberty, and the cultural purging of the southern states has begun. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer to call it ethnic cleansing of the southern states. Oh, wait until you see what LGBT activists are about to unleash on American Christians. I, I can't wait. <laughs> I shudder at the thought 
I don't know, perhaps some protests, you know. It's still uh, legal to fire people in some states if they're gay. Uh, it's still legal to evict them on the grounds that they're gay in some yeah. states. Because there are certain states that do not recognize LGBT individuals uh, as a protected class, and they do not guarantee freedom from discrimination on grounds of sexual orientation. Yeah. Or gender identification. So uh, there, there, there is work to be done. This is a step, uh, Franklin Graham. We're not finished yet. We're going to continue the march toward freedom and the cultural purging of the southern states. Yes. <laughs> it's all in the southern states, apparently. <laughs> right? I would. Oh, I... Can I help it if that's where all the dumb people have chosen to congregate? Yeah. <laughs> uh... Uh, you mean like Jeff Amex of Amex Hardware and Roofing Supplies in Granger County, Tennessee, who taped up a sign, no gays allowed, after, <laughs> after the Supreme Court's ruling? <laughs> no gays oh. allowed. <laughs> Chuck, according to him, they gladly stand for what they believe in. Why can't I? They believe their way is right. I believe it's wrong. But yet, I'm going to take more persecution than them because I'm standing for what I believe in. He stands for no gays allowed. What is he six? <laughs> I know it's like and it was all it was handwritten. <laughs> you can't come into my club, gays. If it was in a hardware store, you can't buy my hammer. I remember when I first staple gun. I first saw the sign, uh, the picture of the sign. The Y is the Y is kind of. It's kind of a lazy Y. So I, I thought it said no Gauss allowed. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what does he have against, uh, what is that, electricity? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking magnetic field or some shit like that. What's your problem? Uh, he eventually took it down and then he rewrote it to um, uh, something something like, I won't marry you on my premises or something stupid. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> All right. The whole problem is... When you, uh, say, are offering a service, for example, such as a hardware store, and you uh, attempt to sell hammers and nails to a certain population, and you do not sell hammers and nails to a other population specifically because they're in that population. Again, you can insert you know, the minority of your choice here to right. see exactly how wrong this is. You either offer no services at all, so you can't bake a wedding cake for, for some people, and then refuse to on the ground right. that they're gay, other people. You either don't sell wedding cakes or you sell them pretty much to everybody. And they say, what about kosher Jews? I have a right to walk in there and demand ham. No, they don't sell ham to anyone. All right, yeah. They don't discriminate right. between who they do sell ham and who they don't. They don't sell ham at all. <laughs> That's not discriminatory. That's our first skunk dick, Franklin Graham, with a... Side honorable mention for Jeff Emix. <laughs> Fantastic. The uh, second skunk dick. Now, uh, I'm going to split this between former Representative Michelle Bachman. Oh, yes. Who says, yes. no matter what, the court's ruling does not upend millennia of truth. Uh, Many Americans will choose to follow God's ways rather than this court, and they should suffer no penalty for doing so. Oh, my God. They won't. <laughs> the court has flung open the gate to lawsuits from those pushing the gay agenda against those who disagree with same-sex marriages. Uh, the, the only door that's open is uh, the door that has always been open, and that's against discrimination. Everywhere these yes. people have de denied services to gay people, 
such as the wedding cake and the what the floral decorations in states where they are protected they have statutes in the state to prevent them from discriminating on basis of uh, sexual orientation or gender identification every single time they've lost those cases why because it's discriminatory bachman so bachman. Here's, here here's my recommendation to you christians don't discriminate now you're safe from all lawsuits done right <laughs> No, no gate flinging open of lawsuits pouring upon you. <laughs> Flung open the gate easy, to easy. lawsuits from those pushing the gay agenda. I man, oh. I want to see the gay agenda. If the gays ever released a, an actual agenda, like a there, there is a secret room sort with of a giant document. board. Upon this board, Chuck, there are many pins and and lengths of. <laughs> Strings. Brightly colored strings. <laughs> Brightly colored strings. Some balloons. Yarns. Yarn <laughs> Tied it all together to some vast New World Order gay conspiracy agenda pushing gate flinging machine. The yes. the other half of the skunk dick, uh, perhaps the balls, if you will, of this particular skunk dick, is Representative Louis Gomert. Louis Gomert, my favorite Texas representative. Uh, so. He is. I'm. I'm gonna. He's from Texas. Uh, so yeah. there. So there's an uh, R in from. He's a Republican. That's a little redundant. But R Texas. Uh, <laughs> there's a. There's a few Democrats <laughs> in in the cities, I guess, like Houston or Dallas. Or, uh, he calls a ruling a civilization changing decision that destroys our nation's heritage of biblical marriage. May God forgive our Supreme Court majority for its arrogance. <laughs> And itself apotheosis. Just <laughs> fucking look that up in a dictionary. Remember, remember when Kennedy in his ruling he wrote, "We are God now." <laughs> I don't play God. I am God. God. Yeah, I holy that. shit! I love it. I love it. How come? Don't they get that the Supreme Court merely interprets the constitutionality of certain? Actions, principles, ideas, blah, blah, no, blah. No, 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 they do not. They What they do is they advance their own agenda. They've decided in their minds beforehand, and then, ah. like Scalia says, they find some sort of legal justification for it. Then they legislate from the bench. Yes, and if that isn't <laughs> the Scalia calling the kettle black, I have no idea. <laughs> I wonder what both Moses and Jesus would have said about this. Well, uh, Gomert has something to say about that, too. He says, if Moses, Jesus, and the contributors of the Bible were correct, God's hand of protection will be withdrawn as future actions from external and internal forces will soon make clear. He's making a prophecy. Oh. I will do all I can to prevent such harm, but I'm gravely fearful that the stage has now been set. So there's going to be some sort of external and internal forces uh, that will make clear that God's hand of protection is has been withdrawn. That's it. He's uh, suffered through freeing the slaves. He suffered through... Given women the vote, he suffered through uh, interracial marriage, and that is it. He's taken no more. He's withdrawing his hand of protection. Oh, God. He couldn't take it. I believe it's his right hand of protection, and uh, that is going squarely on Yahweh's skunk dick. Yes. <laughs> I love how Gomert says also, he uh, said that two justices should have recused themselves because it is clear beyond any doubt that Justices Kagan and Ginsburg have held exceedingly strong opinions that same-sex marriages were constitutional by virtue of their having performed them. So, 
clearly they've unlike say Scalia and Thomas who sat there right. <laughs> without any sort of preconceived ideas and listened to the arguments decided purely based on the law Kagan and Ginsburg had already officiated over them so they should have recused themselves immediately yes yes of course it's it's uh, thus it's giving themselves a four to three victory of unelected judges <laughs> That's purely a coincidence. Anybody who's gay should always recuse themselves from anything (laughs) because they're gay. Even if you have gay friends, you just recuse yourself immediately on that score. Right. You're biased. Yeah, you're biased. You're gay friends. You're familiar with the gay jet? Recused. (laughs) (laughs) Who else you got? Do we have any more skunk dicks? We got just about every single conservative... Uh, presidential contender at the moment. Yeah, they're um, kind of confused. You know, some of them are falling all over themselves, like Huckabee and Santorum, uh, to out anti-gay each other. And yeah. uh, others are, you know, kind of hanging back. Trump, who's on his what third or fourth marriage, uh, is standing firm for a traditional marriage uh, in the form of I don't know serial monogamy, just marriage, divorce, marriage, divorce, marriage, divorce. Couple bankruptcies in between them, but traditional marriage, goddammit. And Jeb Bush said, "I don't know, you know, uh, I am just kind of toeing the line for a little while. I just won't say, you know, both sides. It's cool. yeah. Santorum might win because you might recall back in 2003, just prior to the uh, Lawrence v. Texas decision, yes, striking down the anti-sodomy laws, uh, Santorum." predicted that whether it's polygamy, whether it's adultery, where it's sodomy, all of those things are antithetical to a healthy, stable, traditional family. In every society, the definition of marriage has not ever, to my knowledge, included homosexuality. That's not to pick on homosexuality. It's not, you know, man on child, man on dog, or whatever the case may be. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I like how he leaves it open. Like some other man on stuff. What about the women? What about women on donkey? It's always man on man on shit. He's such a sexist. Women can be on shit too. Now, now he's saying the um, (laughs) Supreme Court gay marriage ruling justified his prediction of man on dog. Oh my god! When he was asked if the Supreme Court's decision now opened the door to polygamy, Santorum said that he couldn't see any legal basis for banning it because the court quote has certainly opened the door for a variety of other things that are going to happen. That might happen, Matt. Polygamy might make a comeback. Yeah, you know, I I believe there's actually somebody trying to push a case in that right now as well. There's someone that wants to push case to the Supreme Court for so he can marry his second wife. Well, I'll tell you who is not, and that's the Mormon Church. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. We've gone through that already. <laughs> nope. nope, not us. Well, I'd love to see their reaction, though, if, if this guy would win his decision, though. They'd be amazed. Would they all just turn around? Okay, it's polygamy again. Yay! <laughs> no, the, the church would offer a statement saying, uh, we haven't received a revelation on God reinstituting polygamy, so yeah, it's exactly. still not okay. They're so freaking conservative now. It's it's. They'll be like before they before they allow polygamy, they'll uh, oversee man on dog marriage. <laughs> I will marry a man and a dog before I marry a man, <laughs> and a woman, and a woman. It's unnatural. It's Spot and Scout, not. Adam and Eve and Jesse and Rachel. 
I don't know. I was trying to think of a couple of dogs names. <laughs> Prince and uh, yeah, Fido, Rover. It's Prince and Mr. Cuddles. <laughs> Not Adam and Steve. Not Adam and Steve and Lucy. <laughs> Florence. Oh, there's a topic at uh, family night for the Mormon family. <laughs> What does which would you which would you support first? Man on dog or polygamous marriage? Well, you know, I can see it from both sides. Uh you know, I would speaking of Mormons, I would like to give an honorary skunk dick to Boyd K. Packer who kicked the bucket last week. Uh I'm plotting. I will I will I mean, miss, not for his death. For I, the honorary skunk dick. I don't I don't applaud for death. <laughs> I will miss that ignorant bigot. That's old oh. bastard, son of a bitch, anti-gay bigot. Uh, he was responsible, Matt, as you may recall, for the Little Factories uh, sermon, which he hesitated to give, uh, except that there weren't any women present, right? So it was okay. Because, yeah. again, only, only men masturbate. So uh, He also gave the mantle is far, far greater than the intellect, which puts uh, propaganda in front of the truth as far as uh, studying history. So I, I will miss that dishonest, arrogant, old bastard. Uh, I'm reminded of his famous quote, happiness is inseparably connected with decent, clean behavior. <laughs> okay, <laughs> <Bud K>. Packer. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Uh, all right. Well, let's put that all into the computer, for God's sakes. Oh, my God. Clarence Thomas is the skunk dick of the week. What? Clarence Cocan Thomas? Uh, along with Samuel Alito, John Roberts, and my personal favorite, Antonin, Antonin. Scalia. Antonin. What the hell? What name is that? Antonin? <laughs> Antonin? It sounds like a form of speech. What's the Antonin? It's, of, uh, <laughs> it sounds like some commie bastard Russian name. Yeah, and he's a supreme, he's one of those unelected judges. Yeah. You know uh, what it is? It's a, it's a Polish name, Chuck. Matt, I think all four of these uh, men should Apparently. have recused themselves given their Catholic heritage. Yeah, yeah. Catholics have a clear a clear opposition to gay marriage and homosexuality in general. Every, they should have recused themselves. Every should one of a, these. Should have been a 4-0 decision. <laughs> Unanimous. Every one of these assholes felt it necessary. Usually one person writes a dissent, the rest of them join, or maybe there are two dissents, right? Some people do. Blah, blah. Scalia, so there are four separate dissents for every every single one of these assholes who dissented wrote their own dissent. Now, Scalia joined all yeah. of them because he's against gay marriage for all the reasons. Every <laughs> reason oh i like how all these dissents can be distilled down to what the fuck they could have just read that <laughs> what the fuck are you fucking kidding me yeah they're all i don't like gay people uh, i'm whiny i love how scalia begins his by saying the substance of today's decree is not of immense personal importance to me oh bullshit you go on for like 50 pages to whine about how much it hurts you. I don't really care about this, but... I spend the next 50 pages whining about it. 
There's this wonderful uh, sentence in here. Until the courts put a stop to it, public debate over same-sex marriage displayed American democracy at its best. Individuals on both sides of the issue passionately but respectfully attempted to persuade their fellow citizens to accept their laws. Americans considered the arguments and put the question to a vote. Right? So he's saying, hey, this is a great democratic process. Although he, he and Judge Roberts, who makes the same argument, by the way, yeah. Forget that we're not a direct democracy. We don't decide fundamental rights by popular vote. That's why we have a fucking constitution. We're a constitutional republic. We have certain inalienable rights that you cannot vote away. Well, if you read uh, Alito's dissent, it's same-sex marriage isn't true marriage, Chuck. So no. you wouldn't be you wouldn't be denying them a fundamental right. Yeah. And Clarence Thomas uh, you know, says that you can't take dignity, you can't grant dignity to someone, you can't take it away from other one either, you know. Yeah. For example, I'm just um, spitballing here. Remember the slaves? Oh! We didn't remove their dignity by making them slaves. No, they could be dignified. No one can take that away from you, Chuck. <laughs> I mean, they can shackle you and make you live in your own shit and keep you as a slave for your entire life and Separate you from your family, but goddamn it, they can't take your dignity. But you still got your dignity. <sighs> and uh, Scalia does, of course, mention the ruler of the universe as he's presiding over the laws of a secular nation. He's supposed to be oh. interpreting the laws of a secular nation, and in his dissent, he cites. The rule. It is of overwhelming importance, however, who it is that rules me, Scalia says. Today's decree says that my ruler, and the ruler of 320 million Americans coast to coast, is a majority of the nine lawyers on the Supreme Court. <laughs> Listen, if your ruler of the universe, Scalia, is such a fucking wuss that he's defeated by uh, some fucking 80-year-old lawyers... A collection of five of them, unelected. Uh, Unelected. (laughs) Then you shouldn't be worshipping this asshole. Why do you continue to worship this person if he can be overruled by the Supreme Court? Uh, Not because it provides justification for their bigotry. Oh, my God. And he's kind of thrown out any sort of decorum. You can see that he's just so goddamn pissed. Yeah. Judicial putsch, naked judicial claim... Uh, calls it a super legislative power. <laughs> Take, for example, this court, which consists of only nine men and women, all of them successful lawyers who studied at Harvard or Yale Law School. Uh, not a single Southwesterner, or even, to tell the truth, a genuine Westerner, parentheses, California does not. <laughs> hey, I grew up what in the California. Fuck? You know, San Francisco and L.A. might agree with that, though. <laughs> So, yeah, for various reasons, all four of those assholes uh, felt it necessary to write their own separate dissent, variably joining other dissents, except for Scalia, who wrote his own and joined all the rest of them. I think one of the things deep down, they're all afraid of being labeled as the bigots they know themselves to be. Yes, and history will uh, confirm that decision, by the way. They'll all go down as bigots. Alito hit the nail on the head when he wrote, I assume that those who cling to old beliefs will be able to whisper their thoughts in the recesses of their homes. But if they repeat those views in public, they will risk being labeled as bigots and treated as such by governments, employers, and schools. Correct. 
<laughs> That's <right>. absolutely true. <laughs> as it has been for many things over the years, <laughs> as we grow as a nation, as we progress as human beings, uh, yeah, those who cling to those old beliefs, that's what a bigot is, essentially. 100% true. <laughs> Very perceptive, Alito. Oh. Now on to more fondling fathers. All right. Well, let's leave skunk dicks and gay marriage behind and go to more, perhaps the founding father of our country, George motherfucking Washington. George M.F. Washington? I believe I that is that. his uh, Christian name, his given yeah. name. His friends called him Mofo. <laughs> Matt, uh, I Where don't know. Where did you go, Mofo? <clears throat> I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, in school even, George Washington was portrayed as like like the most religious, one of or the most religious of the founding fathers, right? He's fucking, yeah. he's like praying the night before uh, they crossed the Delaware. Uh, he's telling the truth and the chopping down the cherry tree he's always kind of portrayed as this kind of sober dignified extremely religious man oh yeah super moral totally and, you know that's true he he was sober he he was uh he had a lot of integrity but he wasn't religious not too much no he uh attended church very infrequently he was a, a lifelong member of the Episcopalian Church, but he he attended uh, on average about once a month church, uh, and never, by the way, in his life took communion. Never, not once. My God, even I have taken communion. There's a story from the pastor who ran the church that Washington attended during his presidency. This pastor was kind of annoyed. He saw that Washington, even when he did attend church. Uh, would kind of scurry away right before sacrament was offered. And this was a little strange because his wife, Martha, stayed, right? And so that required the coach to take Washington home and then go back uh, to wait for Martha and then take... So it took two trips, right, for the coach. So the next time Washington shows up, the pastor gives a sermon chastising the tendency of, quote, men of elevation, to uh, uniformly turn their backs upon the celebration of the Lord's Supper. So apparently this was <laughs> in vogue <laughs> amongst the smarter people of the congregation. They all just kind of sit there for the stupid sermon and leave before communion. Uh, Washington later tells a friend over dinner that he had received a very just reproof by the pastor for always leaving before sacrament, because he did. Yeah. Uh, he admired the pastor's integrity and candor, and he vowed to never again give the pastor cause to preach another sermon like that. He said he couldn't just start taking communion now because he th he thought it would be seen as a sign of ostentatious display of religious zeal, right? Because <laughs> now that he's president, now he's starting to become religious, right? right? Uh, so what was the solution? He just stopped going to church. Yes. <laughs> Yes. I tell you, George motherfucking Washington, my hero. He says, oh, <laughs> chastise me for slipping out before communion. I got a solution for that, asshole. <laughs> okay. Have you, you've taken communion, right? They do that in the Mormon church? I have. Uh, it's bread and bread and water they give out. They tear a little like Wonder Bread before the sacrament, bless it, and then they give you water in little paper cups. Yes, I have taken communion. 
See, I totally get George on this issue. I mean, that was one of the things I started shying away from before I I really left, you know, going to church. It's it's uh in a Christian in certain Christian churches and in a Catholic church, it's it gets kind of creepy at a certain point because you you walk up front, you kneel down and they kind of wave in front of you, they give a cross and then they put it in your mouth and they hold it for you to drink and and um I mean you know, there's the joke about priests and altar boys, but I mean, you're really standing in front of the guy. I mean, not standing. Sorry, you're you're kneeling in front of his crotch. You know, <laughs> taking something in your mouth. And I just remember after a certain point, I was like, I don't really like communion anymore. You know, <laughs> I don't like doing this. So I, I feel wrong. Does a communion wafer just kind of magically appear out of from his robes? Like no, they, they they have it in a little yeah. <laughs> If you haven't seen them, though, they're like these round, tasteless biscuits with a little... Well, ours had a little cross on the top of them, and, and then there was grape juice. I don't know. I always, it, I always found it kind of creepy. I've never seen them. In, in, uh, in Mormonism, they're, they're like these little fucking priests or deacons or some shit like that, these kids... Uh, say a little prayer and bless a sacrament. It's it's uh, they memorize something out of the Doctrine and Covenants, and uh, once they say it, they look over to the bishop and he either nods and then they can pass the little bread pieces out amongst the congregation. So they just kind of all go in and take the tray and then it's passed back and forth, right? And so when I'm sitting there, I just kind of take the tray and move it over. I just don't take any. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, if if the bishop says the prayer didn't work he'll like shake his head and then they have to fucking re-bless the sacrament because the magic spell didn't uh wasn't cast appropriately it was uh they they critically failed no <laughs> roll a roll a d10 or something yeah <laughs> occasionally you know the sacrament explodes and a little bit of a dungeons dungeons and dragons joke <laughs> damn uh, it so from plus four from Thomas Jefferson's diary entry, eighteen years after Washington died. So, uh, Doctor Benjamin Rush tells me that he had it from Asa Green. So this is the Reverend uh, Reverend Green, who was chaplain to Congress during Washington's presidency. Uh, that when the clergy addressed General Washington on his departure from the government, it was observed in their consultation that he had never on any occasion said a word to the public which showed a belief in the Christian religion. Now, can you imagine if George Washington was a Christian and he actually did believe in Christ, never mentioning it? <laughs> Ever? What? I mean, what possible motive could he have if he was Christian to never mention Jesus Christ? He's being a good good government employee. Yeah, he's being humble. He's, he's separating the church from state. Yeah. And they thought that they should so pen their address as to force him at length to declare publicly whether he was a Christian or not. Uh, they did so. However, he observed the old fox was too cunning for them. He, so Washington answered every article of their address, particularly except that which he passed over without notice. <laughs> <laughs> Rush observes he never did say a word on the subject in any of his public papers, except in his valedictory letter to the governors of the states when he resigned his commission in the army, when he speaks of the benign influence of the Christian religion. Um, I know that Governor Morris, who pretended uh, to be in his secrets and believed himself to be so, has often told me that General Washington believed no more in that system than he himself did. And so that, he was a deist, I think, Morris. So Washington had this um, 
strange ability, and it's remarked on by several people who knew him, that you'd ask him a question, and he's like the only person who would just completely and utterly ignore a question if he didn't want to answer it. <laughs> nice. That's my question, and he'd just look at you and blink or walk away or whatever. He just wouldn't answer the question. So evangelical Christians will remind us that Washington was a member of the uh, Episcopalian Church throughout his life. He served as a vestryman, right? So this is a leading member of the body of the church tasked with managing its finances. So he was, as a vestryman, in charge of the church's finances as a young man in Virginia. I would like to point out that Jefferson did this too. And as, as everyone knows, Jefferson was not a Christian. Yeah. And every other kind of young man who was considered a pillar of society kind of went through and, and became uh, a vestryman. It was just something they did in Virginia. Um, it's interesting that the Virginia planters, um, there are these kind of sort of nobility, the leading men of Virginia, um, all kind of saw religion for its practical uses. They didn't particularly care what you believed. They just thought it was uh, useful in keeping right. people in line and et cetera, et cetera. So, so practically speaking, uh, they were religious, but when it came to finer points of doctrine, they didn't really care. What the evangelicals never really bothered us, they never scratched beneath the surface, right? So we have 37 volumes of Washington's papers, and in those 37 volumes, he mentions his tenure as a vestryman four times. In each instance, Washington's complaining about <laughs> either... <laughs> Paid too much for some expense or some other problem with being a vestryman. When he resigned in 1784, it was with this note. He wrote this letter. It is not convenient for me to be at Colchester tomorrow, and as I shall no longer act as a vestryman, the sooner my place is filled with another, the better. This letter, or something more formal if required, may evidence my resignation and authorize a new choice. That was it. That's about as close as you get to a fuck you in 1784. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, I'm done. Find another vestryman. Now because of his uh because of Washington's lack of religion, he uh was tolerant of various different religions uh that other people had, right? He wrote, "While men perform their social duties faithfully, they do all that society or the state can with propriety demand or expect and remain responsible to their maker for their religion or modes of faith." which they may prefer or profess. So he's basically saying, you know, you don't owe any religious duties to the state. All you owe is your social duties, your civic duties. You keep religion separate. Yeah. He wrote a letter to ministers in 1789. I am persuaded you will permit me to observe that the path of true piety is so plain as to require but little political direction. To this consideration, we ought to ascribe the absence of any regulation respecting religion from the Magna Carta of our country. So he's saying, for the Constitution, no regulation, no establishment of religion, nothing. We should be hands-off. Right, right. Washington, in common with other prominent Virginians, did believe in the practicality of religion for the lower classes. <clears throat> Again, uh, it kind of binds them together as a community. Uh, he often ordered his troops to attend religious services during the Revolutionary War for the same reason. Um, and Christians will often point to Washington's inaugural address of 1789 and his farewell address of 1796, where Washington made a case for the practical virtues of religion in general, which, you know, that, 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 was, that was Washington, right? I don't care about the doctrine. Yeah. I just care about the practical benefits. The hyper-religious Washington that we were taught as children 
was pretty much the creation of one man, and that's Mason Locke Weems, better known as Parson Weems. Does that sound familiar? Parson Weems? Yeah, I, I vaguely remember him from U.S. history. Weems. He wrote a biography shortly after Washington's death. This is the same biography that included the story of Washington chopping down the cherry tree, which, of course, is a total fabrication. Right. And in it, he really builds up Washington as this amazingly religious man. So, I mean, here's a typical passage from Weems's book, of which, by the way, went through um, over 20 separate editions and was immensely popular. When the children of the years to come, hearing his great name re-echoed from every lip, shall say to their fathers, What was it that raised Washington to such heights of glory? Let them be told that it was his great talents, constantly guided and guarded by religion. For how shall man, frail man, prone to inglorious ease and pleasure, ever ascend the arduous steps of virtue, unless animated by the mighty hopes of religion? Or what shall stop him in his swift descent to infamy and vice, if unawed by that dread power which proclaims to the guilty that their secret crimes are seen, and shall not go unpunished? Yeah, what would stop you? So, right, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, Weems essentially just makes shit up for the whole fucking biography. He has no problem, like any good Christian, in making shit up that right. supports the Christian religion. Ben Carson's favorite author. So. <laughs> Parson Weems. <laughs> so, the truth about Washington. Even though it was customary for religious people in 1799 to summon a minister to be present at their deathbeds, Washington had no minister present, and he was aware that uh, he was uh, about to die. He had time enough to call for one, but didn't. There's no mention of Jesus in Washington's last will and testament. Uh, as a matter of fact, in his many thousands of letters, in the, the 37 volumes that have been preserved, uh, including letters sent to console the grief of others, Jesus is never mentioned, not a single time. Letters to nephews, stepchildren, uh, where Washington offered advice at length about morality and ethics, never mentions religion at all. Washington even avoided the use of the word God in his personal papers, preferring kind of deist names like providence, superintendent power, great ruler of events, higher cause. Yeah. Unlike Jefferson, Washington never even mentioned Jesus as a philosopher or a moralist. Uh, and when Congress used the name Jesus Christ in calls for the occasional day of Thanksgiving, right? So we're going to offer this day of Thanksgiving in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, it made its way through Congress, and Washington modified the wording uh, to omit Jesus' name. <laughs> <laughs> so it would be kind of a general day of Thanksgiving, right? I'll just strike this part out. <laughs> it is pretty clear to me that Washington was either a deist or an atheist. It's tough to say. I, I pro he's probably a deist. But he certainly wasn't a Christian. How would, how would any of that have happened if he was a professing Christian? The father of our country. The one father of our country. Washington. George Washington. Second only to Jesus in religiosity. <laughs> Jesus, Washington, uh, Moses, and Saul. And That's yes, the order. Saul of Tarsus. <laughs> our founding fathers. <laughs> All right, Matt, I will turn it over to you to close out our podcast with Alexander motherfucking Hamilton. Alexander motherfucking Hamilton, known as Hamiltoes to his friends for his penchant for his tight pantaloons he would wear. <laughs> um, true story. Are you just going to make up shit like Parson Weems the whole time? Did you do any fucking research? 
<laughs> he was he was a deist and hated Jesus, and uh, he supported gay marriage. The end. <laughs> Let's, you know, you got to get to know Hamilton, Chuck. You know, the first part is, when was he born? 1755? 1757? No one knows. No one knows. <laughs> he claimed 57. Others said 55. Um, also, it doesn't really matter. But, uh, you know, sets the stage. <laughs> well, he was born as the illegitimate son of a disreputable woman who had been in prison for adultery. That's right. So we don't even know if James Hamilton was his actual father or not. He's a bastard. His mother was a French woman named Rachel Fawcett Levine, uh, married to someone else, as you say, adulteress. Uh, she got thrown out. She moved in with Hamilton's father, a Scottish trader named James. But then he abandoned them when he was still a baby and left. He was known as the bastard brat of a Scottish peddler. Not a bad title, I think. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so around when 16 years old, he moved to New York. You heard of this place? Uh, New fancy. York. New York. Sounds uh, familiar. He enrolled in King's College, which is na- later renamed Columbia University. So, you know, hoity-toity. During uh, when the Revolutionary War began, he became part of the New York Provincial Artillery Company. He fought in the battles of Long Island, White Plains, and Trenton. And um, he was promoted to Lieutenant Colonel, Chuck, Lieutenant Colonel of the Continental Army. Yeah, he was actually uh, Washington's kind of aide-de-camp, his personal assistant. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, his kind of his chief advisor. of staff, yeah. Washington put his writing skills where he was a, as you know, we'll come back up to that later about the Federalist Papers. But um, yeah, he put his uh, writing skills to work. He wrote uh, critical letters, reports, um, restructuring of the Continental Army. Very uh, important, got, too. He was fluent in French, thanks to his disreputable French mother, which made him a valuable link between Washington and Lafayette, right? Yeah. And the French officers fighting with him. Uh, the debt of honor we are to General Lafayette. That um, yes. French bastard. <laughs> and then later on, I think we had a problem with him. But that's another podcast. Uh, so, yeah, he, as you said, he was an advisor to George Washington. Uh, after after he left him to study law, he uh, he passed the bar in New York. Uh, among his first clients were the uh, were British loyalists, actually, who continued to pledge their allegiance to the King of England, even though they kind of uh, lost. Um, <laughs> so he's kind of at this stage like John Adams, right? I mean, he's yeah willing to defend people, even though it may perhaps a little unpopular, right? Well, at you know at the time. Uh, when, when people were forced out of homes, you know, the British took them over. And then uh, once once we defeated them, they came back and they said, like, hey, like, you fucking owe me something for taking over my home and ruining it. And, <laughs> right. You know, damaging they, my property. They find, like, some Continental Army soldier sitting in their house because that was their yeah. payment. <laughs> uh, so he was defending loyalists against, you know, these upstart rebels. Yeah, the Rutgers v. Waddington case was a uh, rights of loyalist case. It was a landmark case as it led to the creation of judicial review. Oh, my God. Did you say judicial tyranny? <laughs> I think I did. It led to a system of unelected judges. <laughs> um, <laughs> Men in black robes, shall we say. Yeah, and he also instituted uh, principles of due process. Now, Hamilton didn't uh, have a strong hand, you could say, in writing the Constitution, right? 
but he did uh, heavily influence its ratification. Uh, he collaborated with uh, James Madison and John Jay. He wrote uh, 51 of something like 85 essays under the uh, collectively known as the Federalist Papers, uh, where they basically just artfully explaining and defending the newly drafted Constitution. Right. Trying so to get it to a, a little background. The Articles of Confederation were obviously a failure. And uh, Hamilton yeah, nobody liked them. And he Madison. Them. So we have a, a weak federal government. Hamilton and Madison are among the first people to say, Look, this isn't working. We need a, a new const- you know, constitution. First, they were like, we need to amend the Articles of Confederation, but pretty quickly, let's move to a, a new constitution. Now, Madison, the father of the constitution, actually authored it, but it was Hamilton most prolifically writing these pamphlets, 51 essays. Madison yeah. wrote only 29. So uh, he um, was the number one contributor to the Federalist Papers, and those really... Uh, argued for the principles of the new constitution, including the no establishment clause, right? Right, right. So um, when people argued that the office of the presidency sounded suspiciously like the office of a king, it was Hamilton who, um, at this point, he was pretty religious uh, as a young person and then kind of lost his religion. Uh, So he's in kind of the uh, a-religious phase. Yeah. He replied... Uh, the one has no particle of spiritual jurisdiction. The other is the supreme head of the governor of the national church. What answer shall we give to those who would persuade us that things so unlike resemble each other? But remember that he was also behind Washington's farewell address, which is often quoted by Christians as evidence of Washington's religious nature. Yeah, yeah. We'll get to that. In just I'm, getting, I'm getting ahead. I'm sorry. You're getting ahead of my poorly written notes. <laughs> Go ahead. Just to round out our understanding of Hamilton, you know, when when Washington was elected the first president and chief god of the United States in 1789, um, <laughs> he appointed yes. Hamilton as secretary of the treasury. Yeah. First one. Uh, yeah. At the time, we were facing huge debt, uh, foreign and domestic, <laughs> due to the revolution. Um, but his his policies, he proposed uh, payment of federal war bonds, uh, federal government assuming states debt, and a instituting a federal system for tax collection. He was a tax collector. So basically, we complained about taxation without representation, and we threw off Britain's rule, and then immediately turned around and tacked the shit out of ourselves. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, But those policies were extremely successful. He was a very good Secretary of the Treasury. He was. He was was anti-debt, but he was understanding of the usefulness of it. He helped the United States establish credit with other countries. Uh, he understood the, He understood the game, I guess you could say. You don't want to carry a great debt, but it's right. a tool. And it quickly kind of turned around the economy by having the federal government assume the state's debt. Yeah. Uh, that was a huge uh, step forward. Very successful. Shall we get to the duel before I get to his religiosity? The famous duel. Well, let's get to his religiosity first, because that helps explain why he died. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, let's go over his uh, farewell address. Uh, Hamilton, he helped Washington draft his farewell address. This passage, of all the dispositions and habits would lead, which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism, who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness, these firmest props of the duties of men and citizens, 
the mere politician, equally with the pious man, ought to respect and cherish them. A volume could not trace all their connections with private and public felicity. Let it simply be asked, where is the security for property, for reputation, for life, if the sense of religious obligation desert the oath, which are the instruments of investigation in courts of justice? And let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Whatever may be conceded to the influence of refined education on minds of particular structure, reason, and experience, both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. So, you know how he uh, generically references religion in there, Chuck? Yes. As opposed to, say, Christianity or Jesus? (laughs) Yes. Uh, This, yeah, this is, you know, this is a reflection of uh, the deism, probably, of uh, most of the founders, uh, not all of them. Um, it's also kind of a reflection of a sort of faith that is comfortable, I guess you could say, with non-sectarianism, with one religion, one Christianity. It's religion. Right. It's Right. That's probably Washington's influence on the speech. Uh, Hamilton was a distinctly uh, Christian. Yeah. And he's one of the few founding fathers we're talking about that, that actually was. Um, but, you know, he... Uh, he wasn't very honest, and he certainly used um, religion in – I don't know if you're going to talk about the Jefferson campaign against John Adams of 1800. But he kind of pioneered the use of religion to manipulate the populace for political reasons. Uh-huh. And so he was uh, kind of a, a dick uh, about <laughs> – about religion, right? So he, right. Um, so the irony is that those words about you know how the national morality can't be maintained without religious principles; those are written by Hamilton, who's who's apparently very religious, but not a very ethical person. But uh, Washington is saying them, who uh, is not a religious person, but he's a right. man of integrity and honesty. So. I don't know. He he. Uh, Washington really liked Alexander Hamilton, and obviously Hamilton was uh, a bright guy, but uh, I say he's just kind of an asshole. Yeah, he did. He did have a practicality to his speech, though. Uh, you know, saying why is religion important? Not because it's true or because people need salvation, but because it's pragmatic. It, it benefits. Or religion provides benefits. It benefits even, you know, a mere politician, quote-unquote, can't understand. Um, Citizens need to be moral. To be moral, you need religion. Uh, You know, you might find an exceptional person, Chuck, every now and then, who's moral without religion. Uh, But, you know, they're saying that's not true for most people. Such as most of our founding fathers. Yeah, and it doesn't matter what the religion is. It's just... Yeah, uh, that, that definitely goes back to the Virginia Planter Society. Where, you know, here, I'll do my duty as a vestryman, uh, both Washington and Jefferson, neither of them very religious um, uh, ever uh, in their lives. But they go through and they kind of jump through the hoops. They do their duty because it's more of a secular thing, right? And so, uh, practically speaking, you're right. Um, with the mass of population, they would see that, well, it has its benefit in that it, it binds them together and it provides a morality, kind of a, a manufactured morality for them, if you yeah. don't look at it too closely. Yeah, it's like, uh, do you know the Eisenhower, the famous quote from Eisenhower? Our former government has no sense unless it is founded in a deeply felt religious faith. And I don't care what it is. <laughs> 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 There's a little bit more to that, but that's the point. 
Uh, as for Hamilton himself, like you alluded to this earlier, uh, his faith kind of came and went, you know. Apparently, as a young man, he was piously Christian in a certain way. Uh, in letters, his college roommate remembers him praying at, you know, every morning, every evening. Uh, but you can see as he gets older, he leans toward deism, you know, maybe influenced by Washington or maybe not Jefferson, who apparently he didn't like too much, but... But, you know, the joke is, like, someone asked him, why did the Constitution mention God? And he joked, we forgot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you can see later in life, and, and uh, we'll get to this with the duel, he, he, he kind of returns to his boyhood Christianity. Even uh, two years before he died, he proposed a uh, Christian constitutional society right. as, a, as a counter to, uh, I hope I say this right, Jacobinism? Yeah. As as so that that's referencing the French Revolution, yeah, yeah. right? So it, it's a, a <clears throat> byword for atheists and yes. uh, political opportunists, basically brutal political opportunists. And so he thought that the counter to that would be a Christian constitutional society, so that people would promote Christianity and get Christians into public office. Um, yeah, he. I didn't find that he was clearly affiliated with any particular denomination or attend church or take communion regularly. Um, Apparently, he did ask for it on his deathbed. Um, But like uh, Adams, Franklin. Well, that's the problem. Unlike Washington, who had a bunch of time and said, I don't want a guy here. I do not want – don't get a minister. There was no minister at his deathbed. Hamilton – uh, on his deathbed, sent for a minister, but the Episcopal bishop refused and said, hey, you haven't been baptized, and you're not attending my church, <laughs> so fuck you. And so he sent for a Presbyterian minister <clears throat> who said, hey, if you can get to my church, I'll give it to you there, but I can only give communion in my church. So then he sent back for the original Episcopalian minister, who said, okay, fine. And he reluctantly shows up and gives him a lecture on the evils of dueling before finally giving him communion. <laughs> oh, thanks, asshole. Yeah. What massive I dicks. get it. The guy's bleeding out from getting shot. He can just sit there for <laughs> lecture on the evils of dueling. I think I know. I'm aware. So Hamilton, he had problems with – what was his problems with Jefferson? All right. Here's the deal. Jefferson – so this is like the first political party, right? right? So uh, Jefferson's in one political party. The Federalists are the other political party. And Hamilton actually uh, hated Jefferson. Yeah, he's going to stand with the Federalists. So. And so he's uh, trying to put his own Federalist guy up there, right? Well, John Adams, who's currently president – is the Federalist candidate, but he doesn't really like Adams all that much because Adams wasn't amenable to kind of uh, Hamilton working in behind the scenes. So he uh, (laughs) tries to put his own candidate up, but uh, that didn't work. So he gets a little frustrated, and he puts a a smear pamphlet against John Adams, the Federalist candidate. (laughs) So he essentially... Launches a smear campaign against his own candidate. Uh, so uh, he releases this letter from Alexander Hamilton concerning the public conduct and character of John Adams, Esquire, President of the United States, in October of 1800, like a month before the election. He spends 49 of 54 pages detailing Adams' mistakes as president. Uh, so he also, at the same time, 
launches a smear campaign against Jefferson, who he sees as an atheist. Oh, dirty atheist. And he says, uh, in kind of a, um, a preview of nearly every fucking political campaign to come, he says that uh, Jefferson is godless and immoral, and uh, he essentially tried to make it as hard as he could to appear that electing Jefferson would send the country straight to hell. Does that sound familiar oh, to you? Oh, I've never heard anything like that. He Hamilton was so invested in getting his way uh, that he uh, wrote a letter suggesting that it would be okay to engage in voter fraud because the outcome would justify the means. Right. right? So the quote is, in times like these in which we live, it will not do to be overscrupulous. It is easy to sacrifice the substantial interests of a society by a strict adherence to ordinary rules. He says, these rules ought not to hinder the taking of a legal and constitutional step to prevent an atheist in religion and a fanatic in politics from gaining possession of the helm of the state. Thanks, Hamilton. <laughs> so, it's okay to be uh, an honest Christian unless the guy you're uh, fighting against is an atheist and then you can do whatever shit you want. Right. But but he really fucked Adams over by releasing that. I mean, he pretty much handed the opposition all the ammunition that they needed. And uh, he essentially lost Adams the election and destroyed his own political career. Well, what I read that, like, uh, those criticisms of um, Adams were, were supposed to be, like, an internal uh, writing, I guess you could say. And Burr was the one that made it public. Aaron Burr. Yeah, no one knows exactly who published it, <laughs> but Aaron Burr hated Alexander Hamilton and vice versa. As a matter of fact, when Burr became um, a possible candidate, then uh, Hamilton kind of reassessed Jefferson <laughs> because in the primary, I think, didn't uh, Adams come in third? Yeah. And uh, because of that fucking pamphlet, and so it was now a choice between Burr. Thomas Jefferson and Aaron Burr. And so uh, Hamilton went and supported Jefferson yeah. uh, because he's running against Burr. Yeah, he didn't like Burr. Uh, Burr didn't like him. Burr had a whole list of yeah. uh, of slights for years. Um, right. Both, which, yeah. which led to which the duel. Which led to the duel. Well, we all know what happened. Uh, Aaron Burr and Hamilton went out to duel. Burr kills Hamilton. Uh, that's the short version, right? So the long version, because of all these slights over the years and his opposition to not only, uh, you know, the, the Jefferson and, and Burr election, but but also when he, uh, he he was running for governor of New York and, and, and Hamilton opposed him as that as well. And they just couldn't take it anymore. So he finally, you know, uh, he issued him a, a, a dueling challenge and, uh, and he accepted it, even though it was against uh, his... It went against his personal morals. Uh, he wrote a letter to his wife. He said, my beloved Eliza, the scruples of a Christian have determined me to expose my own life to any extent rather than subject myself to the guilt of taking the life of another. This must increase my hazards and redoubles my pangs for you. But people talk so nice back then, you know? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Uh, and you can just see, like, the flowery penmanship. Yeah. And, and... <laughs> but you had rather I should die innocent than live guilty. Heaven can preserve me, and I humbly hope will. But in the contrary event, I charge you to remember that you are a Christian. God's will be done. The will of a merciful God must be good. So basically, Hamilton was a, a victim of Christianity's stupidity yeah. <laughs> more than anything else. He basically, he's, he decides... 
well, I can't murder someone because that would send me to hell. So I'm going to go into a duel, turn around, and fucking not fire right. my gun. Honor, <laughs> honor tasks me to accept the duel in my my religious <laughs> beliefs. Christianity sentences me to a fucking bullet in the gut. Now, some say that he didn't fire, that he just refused to fire. And Bert, having no such compunction, just shot him. Um, <laughs> Uh, as, but as, there's also some evidence that um, he just fired into the air. Or, and then some say he just missed. Probably Burr supporters. He missed. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Burr, Burr took aim and shot him. And shot him right in the gut. For all his uh, honor, for all his uh, beliefs, he, he died the next day. Uh, one long, painful day later, I'm sure. <laughs> So apparently that was God's plan for him. Yes. The merciful will of a merciful God was to have him die in excruciating pain nearly 24 yes. hours later. Oh, boy. That's Hamilton. Kind of Christian, and then kind of deist, and then right back to Christian. Yeah. Um, kind, you know, he's really the only actually Christian <clears throat> of the founding fathers that we're going to cover. And out of all these guys, he's probably the least ethical and ended up cynically kind of using religion to try and manipulate and rig elections, and it backfired on him, cost him his political career, and ultimately cost him his life. Right. <laughs> uh, but I'll leave you with this sobering thought, Matt. Of all of the Founding Fathers covered, or that we will cover, I think only Hamilton would find current politics of today, modern politics, to his liking. Right. <laughs> All right, so next time we will cover John Adams. John Adams. Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson. And James Madison. Madison. Very good. And, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe some other ones like Patrick Henry and Benjamin Rush. Oh, Patrick Henry. I now. Don't know. We'll just keep going on this for the rest of our fucking podcasting careers. Yes. <laughs> Awesome. 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 Awesome.